Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be picking up there. So last week we were talking about the peace of God that passes all understanding. We saw that there were a number of things that we can do on our end, we can do to help try and facilitate peace in our lives, right? We talked about uh, being joyful. We talked about um, going to God in prayer instead of worrying, going to him, and so on. There were a number of things that we discussed, but really at the end of that message, we recognized that it really wasn't the peace of God that we, were, that we should have been pursuing. Really, it was the God of peace that we should be pursuing. That made us go back and, and recognize that really all we were after, if our approach was just to find the peace of God, then really all we were doing was looking for the benefits that God had to offer rather than seeking after the God that loves us himself. Instead of developing our relationship with him, we were just trying to get something out of the relationship. And that, I hope, really helps us shift our approach on how we approach scripture, how we approach God himself. It's not about what can I get out of this. It's who, who am I trying to have a relationship with? And of course, that is God himself. This week, we're going to pick up in Philippians 4, where Paul begins to give some final remarks. Remember, this is an epistle. Um, That's a a unique word that we use in reference to these, but really, it's a letter. Paul has written a letter through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's written a letter specifically to the church at Philippi, uh, hence the title Philippians. And he's talked about a number of things. We spent about the last 15 weeks, actually, in the book of Philippians, learning different things that Paul has been been telling this group of, of believers here in Philippi. And now we're coming to the very end. As a matter of fact, we're in the very, very last section of this book, of this letter, and Right after this, he closes out with grace and peace be with you uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Right, so we're that close. But before we get there, there is one last lesson that Paul wants to teach these believers here at Philippi. He's gonna, he's gonna do it in, in, in a unique way. First of all, he's gonna, he's gonna show appreciation for what it is that they've done. He's gonna commend them for what they've done. And he's also gonna, gonna plug something very important that they should be doing along the way. It's assumed that they are, but nonetheless, he makes this point very, very clear as, as he goes through this. This is actually the passage where we get, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Uh, probably all of us have heard at least five messages on that one passage alone. I know for me, in, in my growing up years, the, the majority of the time that I saw that verse, I can do all things through Christ, was usually in relation to some kind of a competition, whether it be sports or uh, some other kind of competitive thing that was taking place. I grew up in a Christian school, so uh, they, they were trying to remind you that, yes, God is there with you. Um, God is, is you, you can lean on him for help in your time of need. And I think there are a lot of positive things that we can get from that. But sometimes if we just tag, I can do all things through Christ, onto any situation in any context, there might be some times where we get it wrong. There might be some circumstances in our lives where if we say, I can do all things through Christ, referring to something that 
God never said we should do. Uh, maybe it's something that goes directly against his word. Yet as a believer, we say, well, I can do all things through Christ, yet we're trying to violate scripture. Then no, that's not gonna work. Or maybe God has something, he's placed something in our lives at that moment in time. It may be some kind of a trial that we're going through. And then we, we make this statement. And then when we fail, we say, well, God, where were you? Why, I thought you said that I can do all things through you, but, but it didn't work. That's because once again, our approach to this was wrong. We were seeking after something that wasn't there. So we're going to take some time today. We're going to look at this passage. This passage is actually just a small part of this overall passage that we're going to be looking at today. So you'll see that it does play a very important role. I can do all things through Christ. But I think it may surprise you what it's actually talking about and what it's referring to that we can do through Christ. And we're going to take a look at that here in just a moment. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 10. Follow along with me as I read. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know, how, uh, I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding ye have done well, that ye did communicate with my affliction." Notice here, the primary discussion point is provision. It's the provision of God, right? So Paul was praising the church at Philippi for their, their financial support of him and his ministry. So much so that they were willing to care for him even when he was far away in other places. We'll, we'll see that here in just a few moments. But what we see here, the, the Philippians had been caring for Paul um, in, a, in a physical way. They were giving him money. They were giving him food. They were giving him things to help him in his ministry. Uh, likely, he wasn't making a lot of money um, being in the ministry. We do know that Paul was a tent maker, that he did do that as he ministered so that he could make some kind of an income so to be more effective for Christ. As he continued to go around and be a missionary effectively, churches were expected perhaps to, to start giving to him for this purpose, but really nobody else was doing this. It was just the Philippians. They were concerned about him. They were sending money to him. They were sending goods to him. They were trying to help provide for him, and he was very thankful for this. He even says, I know that you weren't able to provide for me um, for a little while, maybe because of how far away he was, some other circumstance that we don't know. But then he says, but I do recognize you wanted to. You wanted to provide for me. You actually cared about me. You wanted to provide for me, but you weren't able to. Now you are. And we see later on in verse 18 that Epaphroditus himself was actually brought to Paul with food and goods and things to help him where he was, things that Paul considers a literal sacrifice before God. But before we get there, let's take a few moments and discover what this passage can teach us today. While we, we don't really see thou shalt and thou shalt not statements in this passage, we do see some very clear concepts that we can walk away with knowing that those are things that we should be doing um, very clearly shown to us in this passage. So together we will see that no matter what, God provides. No matter what, God provides. So first of all, we're going to look in verses 11 through 13. Paul is laying a very important groundwork uh, for this, this discussion, this passage here, something that is absolutely essential to the believer 
regarding provision. So once again, go back to verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, or really the, the idea of something that he needs. Uh, we've probably, today, the only time we use this word in this context is, um, I went and saw this show and it, it was wanting. Like, it, I, it, it left me wanting. Uh, it, it, it didn't quite meet the expectation that we had, or uh, it, didn't, it didn't pass muster. That kind of idea is what this is talking about. He's not saying things that I want, as in, I want a Ferrari. It's talking about things that I really need, things that will help me survive. Not that I speak in respect of want or need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere, in all things, I'm instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Paul is saying that he has learned how to be content. He's learned how to be content. Talk about an unpopular concept today, right? Our entire economy is built, like the very fundamental building block of our economy is built on being discontent. Think about any commercial you've ever seen, right? It's probably advertising a product that you've had, or you've had some variation of it, but now there's a newer one. Now there's a better one. Now there's a faster one, there's a bigger one, there's a, uh, maybe even a cheaper one, but you still gotta go buy it. Either way, you've got, to, you've got something that you need to have. Therefore, what you have, usually in a black and white screen, you know, they try and make it look, look really bad and say, this is what you used to have, but now this is what you can have instead. That's the world that we live in. It's a world that creates discontentment for their own personal gain. That's, it, it's a selling method. Our, our economy is built on that. That's why credit cards exist. The entire, uh, the, the idea that I will let somebody borrow from me and then I'll charge them an extra percentage because they need to buy things that they really don't even need, but they want them. So it's, it's this circle that just keeps moving forward and forward and forward. Our, our entire economy is built on that, where people are just discontent. No matter what, no matter what they have, no matter all the things that they've got in their life, they're still discontent with what they have. And what's interesting is that discontentment doesn't go away. The richer, the more wealthy a group of people or individuals are, they're still very discontent. People who are millionaires, people who are famous, people who are actors and musicians, they, they talk about how dis discontent and unhappy they are in life, yet other people are like, if only I could be him, if only I could be her, if only I could have that level of fame, then I would be content. No, that's, that's not what we see from Scripture, and we'll see that very clearly here in just a few moments. Paul is making this incredible statement, I can do all things through Christ. He's making it in direct relation to being content. I think that shows us exactly how hard it is to be content, right? It's not natural for us. We don't, contentment is not something that we just come to naturally, hence why the world is like it is today. Contentment in our lives has to come from God. It truly does. So Paul is making this statement, I've learned how, how to be content in every situation. There's, there's times where I've had more than I need, and there's times where I really felt like I needed more than what I had, but nonetheless, God provided for me. That's the key for today. That's what we're talking about. This is all talking about God's provision. God has provided for me. Therefore, I will be content. God can help me be content. I can do all things through Christ, especially being content. As hard as it may seem, as difficult as it may be, 
I can be content. And notice even here, he makes this statement, I am instructed to be full and to be hungry, to have success and failure. Contentment is an expectation of the believer, a commandment to the disciple of Christ. That's why it's so important that we can do all things through Christ. It's not easy. It's actually kind of hard for us to be content. Our society is incredibly discontent. All of us could probably give some examples of, in our own lives even, once again, not purposefully being disgruntled with with what God has given to you, but because of our society, we might be discontent with something, right? A few weeks ago, uh, the AC in my truck went out. Actually, it's been a few months ago now. And I don't know if you've noticed, it's kind of hot outside these days. So it's a little warm driving down the road in my truck. I'm going down the road, 45, 50 miles an hour. The wind's blowing in the truck. It's like an oven, right? It's just coming in. Everything's hot. You're just driving down the road and it feels miserable. And then I get to thinking about it. Well, you know, 200 years ago, if I lived right here, I would have been riding a horse or maybe, maybe a buggy of some kind and, and a horse would be leading me. Maybe I'd have some kind of a, 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 a cover, like a covered wagon that I'd get to use and, and drive around town and, and be able to do the things that I need to do. I didn't go 45 miles an hour down the road. Can you imagine somebody back then seeing my truck with no AC that I'm complaining about just drive down the road? They're like, what? That's magic. I want one of those. That to them, this is some great, you know, it's, it's the best thing that they've ever seen. Like, I can't believe he's going that fast. Look, he's not even in the sun. He's got a covered wagon too. And he's got, the wind's not even in his face. He's got this piece of glass in front of him. This is so cool. To them, they would see something like that as wonderful. Yet to me, I look at that, I'm like, oh, woe is me. I'm sweating as I drive down the road. <laughs> we're, we're so spoiled, right? We, we, have, we have so many things. And as soon as we lose one convenience, our world just comes shattering to an end. Oh, woe is me. The Lord is judging me for, for what's happening in my life. No, no. We just, we have more than we need. We have things that other people in the world don't have. And as soon as we lose it, we recognize, wow, that was actually kind of nice, wasn't it? I take it for granted. The things that God has allowed to be a part of my life, I take it for granted. And as soon as I lose it, now I'm discontent. If, if we're honest, we've all had those moments where something simple, some, some part of our lives suddenly was no longer there and we become this disgruntled, discontent person because something's been taken. Something that we think that we deserve, that we're entitled to. In all reality, we're, we're just a very discontent society. We have things that we just take for granted. We never even say thank you for And then as soon as they're gone, we complain. In this whole passage, Paul is describing how God provided for him and God used people to do so. This is really important for us to understand as we move forward. In order for us to be provided for, I mean, we do know that God rained manna from heaven for the Israelites, but that really hasn't happened since. God usually uses people to help provide for his people. He does this in a number of different ways, whether that be through a job or a career, whether that be through giving, as we'll talk about here in just a moment. Um, God uses people often in providing for others. 
So last week we discussed the importance of not worrying, right? Because of provision. We wanted to be provided for. I'm worried because I'm not making enough money or I I don't have enough food for my family. I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm worried. God says, no, don't be worried, but instead go before the Lord in prayer, asking for everything, everything that you need. He tells us, I already have it. I already have what you need. I just want you to ask me. So we saw that last week. He's already promised to provide for those who seek his kingdom first, right, in Matthew 6. Therefore, instead of our focus being on our careers or our skills and our talents to provide for ourselves by our standards, we can focus instead on our relationship with God, go before him in prayer, and allow him to provide by his standards. Uh, Chances are, even as high as your standards might be for yourself or for myself, his standards are probably even higher. The way that he can provide for us is dramatically more than what we could ever do for ourselves. You've ever heard the old song, uh, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills? Uh, He does. He owns everything. It's all his. He knows what we need. He can provide it for us. And he wants us to ask. Regardless of how God provides, Paul still needed to respond to the provision. We talked about gratitude and thankfulness a couple weeks ago as well. And uh, very important that that be a part of this. But really, we see this, this contentment that he has, regardless of what it was that he was given. There, there were definitely going to be times where he might have wanted something different, but he was willing to be content. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God working in his life, he was able to be content with what it was that he had. There's a story, a very interesting story, that helps illustrate this really well. It's about a, a stone cutter. This is how it goes. Once upon a time, a stonecutter lived all alone. Though he had acquired great skills, he was very poor. He lived in a tiny bamboo hut and wore tattered clothing. One day, as the stonecutter worked with his hammer and chisel on a huge stone, he heard a crowd gathering along the streets. By their shouts, he could tell that the king was coming to visit his humble little village. Joining in the procession, the stonecutter gazed in awe at the king, dressed in marvelous silk, and he was being greeted by his subjects. Oh, how I wish I had the power and glory of the king, he thought. He has soldiers at his command. There is no one more powerful. His cry was heard in the heavens, and immediately the humble stonecutter was transformed into a powerful king. He found himself riding on a great horse, waving at the crowds of people who had flocked to see him. This is power, he thought. As the summer progressed, however, the new king watched the effects of the heat upon his people. Men and animals became weary. The plants withered under the powerful rays of the sun. As he looked at the sky, the new king realized that the sun was more powerful than any earthly ruler. How I wish I were as powerful as that, he thought. I wish I were the sun. And immediately, his wish was granted. The stonecutter relished his new role as the sun. He gloried in the power that he felt as he surveyed the kingdoms below. As he sent his bright rays to the earth, he watched kings and princes hide under their umbrellas. He watched as powerful warriors became weak under his gaze. Even the crops in the field were under his command. Then one day, a tiny cloud moved over the land, shielding the earth from the sun's bright rays. Seeing that there was something more powerful, he thought, I want very much to be a cloud. Again, his wish was granted. 
Now he was blocking the sun's rays and he felt important once again. He gathered all of his strength, becoming a gigantic cloud and began to pour down rain on the earth. Rivers formed where previously there were none and water flooded the streets of the cities and all of the farmland. Everything, trees, animals, people seemed to be awed by his power. Only the massive rocks were unswayed. Again, he had discovered something more powerful. There's nothing, he thought, as powerful as a rock. How I wish I were a huge stone. Once again, his wish was granted. As a stone, he remained motionless and powerful, unmoved by the sun, by the wind, by the rain. He felt exempt from all the forces that shaped the existence of those around him. Then one day, a man approached carrying a bag. When he stopped, he pulled out a chisel and a hammer, and he began to chip away at the rock. Realizing that the man with the tools was more powerful than any rock, he cried out, Oh, I want to be a stone cutter. For the last time, the heavens heard his cry, and he became a stone cutter. Just like before, he lived in a bamboo hut, made his living with a hammer and a chisel. And this time, he was finally content. It was quite a trip, wasn't it? To make it all the way back around to right where he was. But that change of attitude made all the difference. Seeing himself differently, his role differently, now he could finally be content. Contentment is a very important theme throughout all of the Bible. In all honesty, we could spend the rest of our time together talking about contentment. Um, but just a couple of passages to bring to mind before we move on to the next point. First Timothy 6.8 says, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Just food and clothes. Let's be content. If we have those things, we can be content. Uh, verse 17 of that same chapter, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives richly all things to enjoy. In other words, don't find your contentment in the riches of this world. Don't find contentment in the things that you have. Don't find contentment in, in your job, in your talents, in your abilities, in the way that you're able to provide, in the things that you do. Don't find contentment in any of those things. Don't even find contentment in what God gives you. Find your contentment in God himself, in the living God. That's what that verse is talking about. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. The idea here, and think about this, we don't need to be rich to be content, but we do need to be content to be rich. Regardless of where we are financially or how many assets we have accrued over our lifetime, if we're not content, we're never going to be rich enough. There was a story one time of, a, of an elderly fellow who was along the side of a, of a lake fishing. And he had been fishing there for quite some time. He, had, he was already done fishing. He, was, he had already caught as many fish as he wanted to, so he had laid his stuff down, and now he was just sitting there uh, by the lakeside. This young, wealthy man comes by on his fancy boat, and he asks the old man, he says, what, what are you doing? The old man says, well, I've been fishing, but... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting here now. He said, well, why aren't you fishing anymore? The old man says, well, I've caught enough fish. The young man was clearly very puzzled by this answer. So he says, well, why don't you keep fishing and, and catch more fish? 
The old man said, I don't need any more. Well, the young man said, but why don't you get, catch more? And then you can, go, you can go sell those fish and then you can get a better fishing pole and then you can go and catch more fish and then you can sell more fish and then you can get uh, some fishing nets and you can catch more fish, you can sell more fish. Then you, can, then you can get a boat. Then you can go out and you can catch even more fish and you can make more money. Then you can have a fleet of boats. Then everybody's out there catching fish and then finally you'll be able to sit down and enjoy life. And the old man looked at him and he said, what do you think I'm doing right now? I'm already doing that. I don't need to do all the other stuff so that I can be content with what I have. He was already there. He didn't need to go out and and do all these things that the world says we have to do to be wealthy or to to, to be rich. If you're content, you're already rich right where you are. Being content is a choice to be satisfied, to be satisfied with what I have to be satisfied with who I am, to, to, to look at myself in the mirror and recognize that God made me just like I am. I'm willing to be that person. God gave me the talents and the abilities that I have so that I can give him glory. I can, yes, I can use them to help provide for my family as I should. Uh, I, I'm not gonna be sitting down and doing nothing. The Bible has plenty to say about that. But I know that God is going to provide. He's gonna provide through the talents that he's given me and he's gonna provide and many times through other people as well. And I can be content with what God has given. No matter what, we can and should be content. So let's go back to verse 10. We're going to see the second part of this exhortation that Paul is giving to the Philippians. We see, first of all, he he plugs this very important idea of contentment. But then we're going to see the other side of this. uh, Let's go back to verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful but lacked opportunity. Verse 14. Notwithstanding ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye once sit again and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So what we see in, this, in that passage, Paul clearly has appreciation for what the Philippians have done. They have given toward Paul's ministry. The expectation here is that God has provided for you. Now you can help provide for others. God had provided for the Philippians. And now the Philippians, because of that provision, they were able to send it to help Paul in his ministry. Uh, once again, Paul likely he did he he was a tent maker he he had some other means of income but the more of that that he had to do the less of the ministry that he was able to do therefore this giving from the churches was was huge it was very valuable for him we even see here that Paul was in the area of another church did you catch that he was in Thessalonica Thessalonians was written to the church at Thessalonica yet even though he was there in the presence of another church It was Philippi that was giving to him. It was Philippi that was helping provide for him in his ministry. So Paul looks back at them and he he says, thank you so much for your willingness to give. And Paul, verse 18, describes it in a very interesting way. So follow along in verse 18. This is Paul's talking about their giving. But I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Notice that he describes their giving to him, what it was that they provided for him, 
as a sacrifice that was sweet smelling. Just like we talked about last week, the idea of a sacrifice in the Old Testament where they would literally kill an animal and God would literally smell the animal as a sweet smelling savor. He recognized that they were, they were sacrificing something for him, to him, because of what he had done. Today, we use this word sacrifice um, in a very similar sense. I know most of us, if we have a church background, anytime we hear the word sacrifice, we immediately think about the Old Testament sacrificial system. But even today, this word is still in use. This is what, this is what it means today, the word sacrifice. An act of giving up something valued for the sake of something more valuable. The act of giving up something valued for the sake of something more valuable or more worthy. So yes, we saw that in the Old Testament. These people, they were willing to sacrifice to, uh, to repent and cover sin, as well as to offer thanksgiving to God for their contentment for what he had given them. You have to recognize that in this day, killing an animal just to do so was a massive hit in the bank, right? This, this was a significant asset even the smallest lamb, it had things to offer. It, it could provide wool. It, it's something that would provide income for them up until the point that they were able to slaughter it and eat it. it. That provided food for them. Every single animal that would be slaughtered and sacrificed is something that provided some means of income and value to these families in this day. This sacrifice was truly something valuable, but God was more valuable to them. And that's what it was proving. That's why I think we, when we see the story of Cain and Abel, there's great value placed on the life that was lost by Abel's sacrifice. Yet Cain's sacrifice of just fruits and vegetables and things that he had grown from the field, it wasn't nearly as significant. It was as if he really wasn't even trying. And God liked Abel's more. And then, of course, we see what happens in that story, right? Uh, a great lack of contentment there that leads to what takes what takes place next. You know, this idea of giving and sacrifice toward others is really, it's pretty understood in the world as well. Um, we see the um, in the Nazi death camps, there's a number of stories that are very interesting for this idea. So there's um, the idea here, the attitude of giving was one of the things that distinguished the survivors of these camps from those who would perish. If a prisoner was on the verge of starvation, but he had a crust of bread or a scrap of a potato that he could share with his comrade in suffering, it proved that he was mentally and spiritually capable of surviving. He had a purpose. He had a, he had a reason to move forward. He, he wanted to help others rather than just himself. This was so well seen that one of the survivors of Treblinka described it this way. In our group, we shared everything. But the moment that one of the group ate something without sharing it, we knew it was the beginning of the end for them. We had seen it time and time again. As soon as someone's eyes turned back to themselves rather than being willing to help others, that was almost like the trigger that led them eventually to their own demise. That's very interesting. Other places in scripture continue to show the significance of giving as well. Uh, one example is in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. I've showed you all things. So that laboring, ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Even at the beginning of that verse, it says, so laboring, ye ought to support the weak. 
You are laboring, you are working, you are, you are using the talents and abilities that God has given to you so that you can provide for your family, so that you can support your family. But while doing that, you can also support the weak. You can also give, and Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. I know a number of families that when Christmas time comes around, instead of giving gifts to their children, they actually have their children gather some things that they already have and give to someone else. And it's really interesting to see how, how they, they approach this. At first, when you tell your child, hey, you're not getting a Christmas present this year, uh, of course, they're, 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 they're heartbroken. They're thinking, no, th- Christmas is about me. Christmas is about me getting a gift. So, well, first of all, that's not true. Um, at all, quite frankly, we are the ones receiving a gift called Jesus, uh, not a gift that's given to you. But our culture points all of our eyes toward ourselves. So our kids see this and they're, they're affected by this. But then as soon as we turn that on its head, and now we have kids that instead of seeking after their own, they're now trying to provide for someone else. We see a, a level of gratitude and contentment that we didn't see when they were receiving gifts. Isn't it ironic that on Christmas Day, you've provided gifts for your kids, yet you can barely get a thank you out of them? Sometimes they look kind of bewildered at what they got. Oh, I got a PlayStation 5. I wanted an Xbox One, right? That discontentment, that attitude that we, we can have because we're selfish and we live in a very selfish society and a very uh, discontent society. But as soon as we turn our focus on giving to others, we are the ones who receive blessing because of that. I believe both mentally and physically. I think God very clearly, as we'll see in a moment, promises that he will provide in a special way for the people who are willing to give. For the people who are, they are content enough with what they have that they're willing to give of what they have to someone else. If God has provided for me, I can help provide for others. If God has given to me, I can give to others as well. That's a theme we see all through scripture. And when I do, there is a special promise that is given. And that's what we find in verse 19. Go ahead and follow along with me there. Verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There's a couple important things in this verse. Paul is talking to the Philippians. The Philippians, they, they were clearly content. God had provided for them. They were content with what they had, so much so that they were willing to give of what they had to the ministry of Paul, to Paul himself. They were content. They were giving. Because they were willing to give, now we see this statement by Paul. He's telling them, look, my God shall supply all your need. He's not talking about himself. He's talking to them. He said, listen, I know that this was a sacrifice for you. I know that you took of your own to give to me. And I promise you, because you did that, God will provide for you. And, and he's going to provide for you, not uh, from from according to your riches or your expectations, but according to his expectations, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So let's do a quick recap, right? The Philippians, they've received provision from God. The Philippians 
being content with that, they were willing to give that provision to Paul, but had to stop for a time. Maybe Paul was too far away. Paul then explains that he is content regardless of how God provides for him, whether that be through the Philippians or through some other means. Paul then commends them for their giving, and then he makes this promise. God promises that, once again, he will supply their need. It's almost like it's a, it's a circle, right? God provides, you choose to be content, you choose to give, and then God will provide. You choose to be content, you choose to give. All of that, there's, there's other things involved in this. If, if, you're, if you're content with what God has given, then you have to trust God to be able to give, and, and then that means you're trusting God to provide once again. There's, there's faith in him all the way around this. We're, we're looking to him, our eyes are fixed on him completely, not ourselves, on him on his provision, on his riches, as this verse says, his riches in glory, that's how he's gonna provide for us. God will provide exceedingly above all that we could ever ask or think, all that we could ever hope for, all that we could ever dream. God is far above that. Whatever it is that we have in our minds that we need, God has it. And God can determine whether or not that's actually what we need in our lives. And our response to him should be one of contentment because of it. Contentment and giving are things that a financial advisor would probably claim to be counterintuitive to financial success, right? If you were to go to some worldly, uh, uh, some kind of a financial institution that did not have a Christian background, chances are they're not going to tell you just to give your money away. They're not going to tell you to give of your assets to someone else. Uh, or, and they're certainly not going to say, well, you should just be content with where you are. Right? That's, that's very counterintuitive to our society and to our culture. But just like in so many other areas, God has proven time and again that when we do things his way, it benefits us. When we do things his way, God has given us clear instruction. We can move forward with this instruction. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That doesn't make sense to the world. How is it that I'm going to get wealthy and rich if I keep giving all my stuff away? That's their approach, but God says, no, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I will provide for you. I'll provide more than what you can provide for yourself. But you've got to be willing to give what you have. You've got to be willing to be content with what you have so that you can give, and then I can provide even more. I encourage you, the next time you see this verse, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Yes, it might be true in the context that you see it in. Maybe it is regarding some kind of a sporting event or competition, or maybe you have it there in your office at work or up somewhere in your home. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. There is a lot of truth in a lot of areas of life where that passage applies. But remember, that passage is talking specifically about contentment. I can do all things through Christ. If that's true, that means that God can help me to be content. God can help me to be able to get past this this issue in my mind where I, I feel like I, I'm so important that I need everything, that I need to be wealthy, that I need to, to have all the things that I want. And when I finally meet whatever that threshold is, then I'll finally be content. And then maybe I'll think about giving to someone else. Then, you know, maybe we can be charitable after that. But not until then. And that's where so many of us are, in that middle section of not until then, I'm not, I don't have what I need yet. I'm not yet willing to help and to give. 
Uh, I'm not yet trusting in God for, for provision. I'm not content with where I'm at. And we're stuck, just like the world. We're stuck right there, waiting for God to provide, but not really doing what allows that provision to come. I can do all things through Christ reminds us that God can help me to be content. God can help me to give. God can help by providing for me. It reminds us no matter what, God provides. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.